You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Oh, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast from the TCO Performance Center of Performance, Matthew Collar. <laughs> of with, performance, yes, I like that. Yes, Got to get it right, the full name. Uh, Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Courtney, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, I want to start out because there have been many different storylines. We've got some injuries to talk about, which means we are really in full swing here. Uh, but with just the changes on the roster made, with Tom Johnson coming back and Dan Bailey uh, being signed to replace Daniel Carlson, obviously they cut Daniel Carlson. So just quick reactions, and then you can react to my reactions. I love reacting to reactions yeah. of reactions. Okay, great. They're some of the greatest things to react to. So uh, I appreciate everyone who tweeted about Tom Johnson coming back and saying like how happy you would be about it. Congratulations to me. I get Tom Johnson back. Well, thank you all for saying that. And the point was just that they wanted him back. That uh, what we were talking about so many times is that this team really liked Tom Johnson. Sheldon Richardson's a better player. So they upgraded, but he was a meaningful player to them. And to be able to take him from the Seahawks, just think of the ineptitude of the Seahawks. Like, what are you doing releasing a quality defensive tackle to sign someone else who didn't play the other night against the Bears only to lose your quality defensive tackle and then have to pay Tom Johnson to play for the Minnesota Vikings? I think that's the hilarious part, the whole vested veteran thing, that he's when they play them in December, he's collecting paychecks from both teams. Yes, um, That's kind of funny. I know that it was a numbers thing is what Pete Carroll said as to why they couldn't keep him. Um, you know, he had a $2.1 million uh, contract and a one-year deal for, with 900000 guaranteed. And then, you know, they, they felt like they had to make a move to get somebody in. And it's just kind of like they weren't really thinking for the long haul. I think it was just their short-term fix, hoping to get him back at some point, which is kind of like, you break up with me and now you want me back. Um, and he got, you know, the Prince Charming, I guess, swept him off his feet, which was the Vikings. I mean, this is the team that wanted to keep him here in free agency. They just did not have a way to do it. Um, is getting a guy like Sheldon Richardson an upgrade to a Tom Johnson, Shamar Stefan combo? Sure, of course. But, I mean, it's pretty darn good when Tom Johnson is now your backup three technique, a guy who played 67% of snaps last year. Um, you know, this is where his career really started to pick up again. I mean, the guy's been in the league as like, you know how old Tom Johnson is when you can say, I played in NFL Europe. <laughs> yes, um, right. And I think this was really getting in Zimmer's system and getting in the scheme helped turn and turn around his career and, and launch it in a much higher trajectory. And now you have, you know, a guy coming back who already knew the playbook. George Edwards talked about it today that, you know, 
it doesn't, you know, he, he knows a lot of what they've already, what's already been installed and some of the wrinkles have changed, but it, it might not, it might not take him that long to pick it up because this is very much the same defense uh, that he played in last year. And I think it's great. I mean, it just shows you that, you know, certainly priorities are, you know, there's going to be people who question on the, the offensive line. will come into this. I'm happy to talk about that. But for a team that had less than, and, and as of September 6th, less than a million dollars in available cap space, um, certainly now they had to kind of restructure, put some things to the future in terms of money, and then, you know, cutting Daniel Carlson. There's been ways to free up some money, but, man, it's just like the rich keep getting richer. Like, you have the best defense in the league, and you find depth pieces that were starters elsewhere. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, being able to bring back someone who was a starting three technique, a key position in Mike Zimmer's defense, on the number one defense in the entire NFL, and have him as a rotational player is uh, just a, a complete boon for the Vikings. I mean, they didn't really have any chance of bringing him back once they signed Richardson unless something went awry. And, you know, if you were wondering if Tom Johnson still has it, you saw him hit Kirk Cousins in the preseason game when he came here with Seattle, that uh, he still has his power. And even though he's 34 years old, uh, he is a guy that doesn't have a ton of miles on his body. So he's been pretty effective into his 30s. And last year, he didn't get a ton of sacks, but he pressured the quarterback a lot, like we've talked about with Sheldon Richardson did the same. And now this just gives them all sorts of options and the D-line rotation, I was very skeptical of the D-line rotation. And in week one, I didn't think it worked at all. I thought David Perry got pushed back on a few plays that he was in. Tashawn Bauer did not create a whole lot of pressure himself. Steven Weatherly has been the only guy who has really done much in that rotation. And now to be able to have Jaleel Johnson focus solely on nose tackle, I think helps for him to have a proven veteran to be able to rotate. in. that's more like what Philadelphia had and has is real veteran players who've proven themselves coming in, not just a bunch of guys who are inexperienced. So if Weatherly continues to play well, Tom Johnson could come in 20, 25% of the snaps for Sheldon Richardson, or they could kind of mix and match, especially if Everson Griffin has to miss a game. I mean, they already had one of the best defensive lines, if not the best in the NFL, but this just makes it even better and even more dangerous. And now when they take out Sheldon Richardson, you could put in someone who's almost as good as he is. Yeah, and there's that interior push that they strived for this offseason. I mean, that's not to say it wasn't there last year. I think that that's kind of missed in this whole thing. It's not like Linville Joseph, a Pro Bowl nose tackle who's getting double teamed, uh, you know, 95% of plays, and I mean, that freed up Tom Johnson to do a lot. He had 34 pressures in 2017, which was the third highest of his career, and he had two sacks. He's been effective, but it's just that you saw an upgrade, and that's kind of the whole thing here. They didn't need this move whatsoever. David Perry had a sack uh, playing in the backup nose tackle role on Sunday against Aaron Rodgers. That's pretty good. Uh, there was no problem with the defensive line and the pass rush, but when you saw a window to get better, they didn't hesitate, which mm -hmm. I think tells the bigger story here that they're not dwelling and they realize, hey, if something's going to happen, we need to move on it quickly. They moved on Dan Bailey within, you know, 20, not even 20, 24 hours from kickoff, really, because that move was made about 1 p.m. on Monday, at least the term in terms of releasing Daniel Carlson and then Adam Schefter reporting that Dan Bailey was going to be their kicker right around the same time. And then within the next day, Tom Johnson resigns and David Perry's out. I mean, they're moving incredibly quickly to try to shore up spots on this roster. And I think that that's honestly a credit to the front office that, hey, you can admit a mistake when it's happened. One that at least is not going to financially kill you like re releasing Laquan Treadwell would have been. 
Um, but they moved on quickly, and and you gotta you gotta tip your your hat to them on that because it just shows you, hey, we realize we're in win now mode. We're going all in on win now mode. So last year there were opportunities to sign veteran backup safeties, corners, defensive backs, and they didn't do it aside from bringing Terrence Newman back. And they kind of played with fire there and got away with it. Anthony Harris played okay in the one game that uh, he had to come in against the Rams and, and was decent otherwise as a fill-in. But even just so- signing George Iloka, sure. who has not gotten in the game yet, and uh, well, I'll just we can answer that question now about George Iloka. But he just he's kind of the I wanted them to get Corey Graham. I thought that would be a really good idea to bring this veteran in and he ends up with Philadelphia and is playing something like 60% of snaps when they win the Super Bowl because usually you need more defensive backs uh, than the Vikings needed in 2017. So as far as the defensive back situation goes right now, because I think you and I are just on the same page with Bailey, like you got a good kicker and you needed to cut the other one. You got the good one. What else is there to say about it? Well, I think the important thing here, what we learned from Mike Prefitter today, is that if Dan Bailey was available in, uh, you know, they re-signed Kai in, in March, and then the next month they draft Carlson. Like, they didn't know that this was probably going to happen, but they would have gotten him then because they knew in the offseason they were going to upgrade their specialists. They, they knew they were going to have to. I think it took longer than they expected that – they certainly, clearly, if you th- if you draft a guy in the fifth round, if you trade up to do that, you think the guy's going to succeed. What this tells us is it doesn't work to draft kickers high. Don't do it. Don't Robert Aguayo yourself. Don't Daniel Carlson yourself mm-hmm. into a situation like this when there are guys on the street, veteran guys, that you can bring in. I think that having a guy like Dan Bailey, and I went back and looked at some of the comments over the, the last three kickers that Mike Zimmer's had, you know, the the chip shot comment with Blair Walsh, the the stuff that you know with Kai Forbath and, and missing the the PATs and and what they did to draft a guy to put pressure on Kai, and then everything that was said about Daniel Carlson, you have to be able to handle that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think what Mike Zimmer did against the uh, Seahawks set Daniel up for failure. Jaguars. Right? Was that Seahawks the... game? That was the third game of the preseason where he missed oh, thought... the two forty-two yard field goals. In the oh, win. okay. I thought it was the Jaguars, but no, Jaguars was the lost preseason. As, as soon two. as the preseason ends, I just stop remembering it. I mean, why do you remember it now? No, that's what I'm saying is I don't remember anything that happened aside from the kid definitely missed some field goals. But yeah, well, I guess why do I remember it? I don't know. Football. Yeah, um, it's football. No, but I think that set, I said I think that set him up for failure because he's a young guy. He's trying to be perfect, trying to you know at that point the kicking competition was over, but still make the team. Um, I think Bailey, having a veteran guy who can be paired with a coach who is going to not publicly give you any sympathy as a kicker if things go wrong, he's the right guy mentally to handle that. Yeah. Seven years in, you got to be. And he played where Jerry Jones is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that that that's a big difference maker, that there isn't much more of a pressure cooker than playing in Dallas in that giganto stadium with the most powerful owner in sports there staring at you, watching you do your job, and... Uh, you know, uh, America's team and most games are on national TV and all those sorts of things. He kicked in the playoffs. He made three field goals against the Green Bay Packers in the playoffs. And so the fact that he's got that experience, to your point about Daniel Carlson, I mean, it's exactly why you don't draft them and give them the job on a win-now team 
because you don't know how they're going to deal with that pressure. It's just very different from kicking in college. Yeah, it's important, but it's not the same when there's money on the line for an entire team. There's Mike Zimmer over there. There's Aaron Rodgers on the other side. So it's it's a very different level of pressure, and I think that undoes a lot of very good college kickers, so it's more who can handle it mentally than physically because usually if you're getting drafted, that means you have a good leg or a big foot. Oh, <clears throat> Sorry, that's an inside joke. Anyway, so let me circle back. To George Iloka. To George Iloka. The question on Twitter that I got was, why haven't we seen George Iloka? And I wouldn't be surprised if we finally do this week. I think it's very difficult to show up a few days before the season starts and try to pick up everything, even if you know Mike Zimmer from the past. And they're always going to play it up like, oh, yeah, sure, I can get it, I can get it. But that's not the same as going out against Aaron Rodgers. So if there's a time to do it, especially since J. Ron Curse experiment didn't last long, <laughs> And with the struggles that they've had at nickel, I think we will see them try Iloka this week. That's my guess. Yeah, and the whole thing of I know 85% of the calls, he did say after the third preseason game when we talked to him, he got an iPad, uh, a document delivered to him on his iPad that was like, what, 400, 300 pages of like playbook and just you realize how much there is to consume, whether you know it or not. And he's, it's, it's been years since he was in Mike Zimmer's defense. And granted, some of it of the scheme was similar to what he ran in uh, Denver. See, whoa, Denver, wow. Uh, where was he? What's the city? Cincinnati? That, that'd be the one. Yeah, well, you got Orange in there. Orange, man. But that's like completely nowhere near there. I don't know where my brain is. Um, anyways. I'm not a geologist. I don't know. Haha, <laughs> that's cute. Isn't it? It's, we were all making jokes. We are. Um, but it's important because Mike Zimmer's not going to hang this guy out to dry. I know that, you know, I think we've talked about it kind of at times felt like the Tremaine Brock experiment of last year where the guy was, you know, proven, was supposed to come in, barely played except on special teams. Iloka's one of, I mean, Zimmer drafted the guy. He's not going to hang him out to dry um, and throw him out there against, you know, what we expected would have been a much more difficult Jimmy Garoppolo. And against Aaron Rodgers, I think he would be great in the big nickel role. They clearly seem to like utilizing that position when just depending upon like what the offense is, you know, what type of offense they're playing. It doesn't. I asked George as uh, George Edwards about that this morning, and I thought it was kind of interesting because it doesn't seem like they've really figured out who their nickel is. They don't have a set nickel, and I think that that's obviously a product of not having Terrence Newman in there, but also trying to experiment with okay. If you can have three safeties in there and have Iloka or have Curse, if it, if it continues to be Curse at Big Nickel, which doesn't really feel like it after four snaps, uh, three or four snaps last week, um, it gives you a different look, and I think it, it can you know it can be to your benefit to kind of rotate guys in there. You know, if it's not Mackenzie Alexander, if it's not Mike Hughes, especially with the issues that they had against tight ends the last two weeks, right and. I think that we could see some more experimentation if Iloka comes in with uh, Harrison Smith mm-hmm. playing that nickel. And, I, and I'm thinking about That's fair too. situationally, matchup-wise, too, uh, there are situations where it's better to have the three safeties in than the three linebackers. Sure. I mean, if you're talking about like a third and four, for example, that's like a run or pass third down. I Even if they bring in two tight ends – they could just as easily throw it, and Ben Gideon can't really cover all that well. He's mostly just a run stuffer, so that would make a lot of sense to me to bring Harrison up to the line of scrimmage, have Iloka and Anderson Deho play back. Sure. Yeah, so I, I think we will see him. I don't think he's getting Tremaine Brocked, 
But it also speaks to you brought up <laughs> verb. Yeah, you brought up. Uh, well, I also like a big big nickel is, a, is, is my, that's yeah, like I my like it. favorite term. I love it. It's actually like my country band. Big big nickel. country big nickel big big nickel. Um, <laughs> so uh, where were we going with this before I made jokes? Um, so the rest experimentation of the defense, this year experimenting. Oh, Terrence Newman. Yes. Yeah. And I think Coach Terrence Newman to you, Matthew. I know. I, I think it really shows these first two games just how good he is at football, was at football. Um, the fact that Mike Hughes and Mackenzie Alexander have had their struggles a little bit and just why Mike Zimmer has been patient with young corners, with Xavier Rhodes, with Trey Wayans, and bringing them along because it's not easy. And Alexander now in year three, though, you got to get some of these things right. And I, I think that the leash on him is very short. And if that doesn't work out and Hughes isn't ready, then you kind of have a problem there with Newman retiring and no parachute for those two guys. I can go ahead and throw out a hot take, right? Because I've got one that just – I've kind of been milling. I think I'm ready. Yeah, okay. All um, right. So the McKenzie Alexander experiment, as we have been talking about, it's – they they clearly like him enough where he's taking the majority of the snaps. Last week he was obviously hurt in week one from the nickel. But they didn't run the misdirection stuff that, that threw off Mike Hughes. I mean, the fact is they turned Jimmy Graham loose, and that was a product of just miscommunication is what Mike Zimmer said. It looked like there was a lot, something else going on back there, maybe you know overcorrecting um, at, at certain points, and just it was it, it just something else was wrong there. If we continue to see the nickel spot, and especially with Mackenzie Alexander, if it continues to be an issue where, you know, who knows? Maybe against Buffalo, as, as you said, maybe they get George Iloka in there and you know, or, or Harrison Smith. I mean, continue to experiment, move around. But if it continues on beyond that where it's a liability and tight ends are, you know, he's getting, you know, blown in coverage, you know, by tight ends, other, you know, what have you. I think he's a candidate for the tra- trading block come the trade deadline. Yeah, yeah, maybe. It's just it's always hard to trade anyone at that time. You just don't see it What that if you often. need an offensive lineman before we- November 18th when you face Khalil Mack? Yeah, it's just I wish that this happened more often. I mean, I wish we saw like player-for-player player trades. It just seems like it's so tough once the season starts that it's really rare that we see them. I mean, Jay Ajayi but, uh, last year for Philly, but that was like a tank situation for the Dolphins. So they were just kind of like selling off anything that wasn't nailed down. Um, It's hard to see him in a trade, but it is easy to see him like not playing much. Well, I think if they had to trade anybody from the defense, that's your first piece of leverage. Yeah. Because there were rumors about it right ahead Mm -hmm. of the 53 man roster uh, being cut down that, you know, don't. Trey Waynes wasn't going anywhere. That was never a piece of leverage that they were willing to work with. I think that McKenzie could have been somebody that they could cut, you know, cut ties with and, and bring another piece in that you that you need. Um, I'm not saying anything about like, that. He, I'm not advocating for it right now whatsoever. But I'm just saying that if it continues on this way, if they really can't solidify that position like they did with Terrence Newman the last two seasons, then. That's a problem. We are getting to the point with both of the first two 2016 draft picks where you just have to say, yeah. step it up. I mean, it's time. It's time to get the assignments right for Mackenzie Alexander. It's time to catch 
the Critical football. third down right? passes. Four drops in nine targets for Laquan Treadwell so far. I mean, and small sample size. That but leads the league, though, right now. I think yeah. I had four and ten, something like that, four and nine. And, and these um, haven't even been like deep bombs that went through your hands. I mean, a lot of these have been very catchable balls. So with both of those guys, it's like – Maybe there is an opportunity to trade one away. I think we're kind of too far down the road, and that's why they get Aldrick Robinson, and and that's why when George Iloka is up to speed, that will help take some of the pressure off Mackenzie Alexander. But when you see him just totally blowing an assignment and gets called out by every coach, I mean, even George Edwards was uh, willing to admit that things went wrong there, and, and Mike Zimmer called him out. When you get to that point, where you're getting called out in post-game press conferences, that then you've sort of crossed the threshold as no longer a young player getting better. You are now just a player, which means you have to perform, and that's not what those two have done, either Treadwell or Alexander. And we've talked about it ad nauseum, um, about why Treadwell wasn't the one to go. Financially, they just couldn't do it. I mean, you're a team that's already up against the cap. That would hurt you more than it would help you. Benching him would help you more than it would hurt you mm-hmm. uh, at this point. And you know, I'm 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 not you know I'm not advocating for for anything of like okay, give him another chance, give him another chance. He he's had his chances, but. Let's see what happens this week. Let's see what happens against the Rams and the Eagles. I'm not saying it's going to be great. I don't think it is, but I think that's also Aldrick Robinson's window. If he can pick up the playbook, if he can, you know, contribute in that number three role, or at least somebody who can catch passes on critical third downs and, and not let a ball get tipped for an intercept for an interception return. I mean, he could quickly pass uh, pass Laquan Treadwell to be have a more sizable role in this offense. The thing that kind of irritates me a little bit is the argument that we get, well, why, what team has two, has three top 20 receivers? I mean, why do you need another receiver behind Laquan or behind Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs? Well, injuries are one thing, but you also need to have somebody in situationally to, to throw in there. I mean, is Aldrick Robinson going to be your, what they wanted Michael Floyd to be last year? That was a situational, situational pick where, a situational signing. You wanted your vertical stretch the field, deep threat, you know, go to him three or four times a game. Can Aldrick Robinson grab onto that role? Because that's not a role that anybody has been able to fulfill in this offense for a while. Mm-hmm. And the number three last year, especially toward the end of the year, turned into the uh, Laquan Treadwell plays in some instances where they're not going to throw it to him. And then if they need somebody to throw to, they bring in Jerry's right for a third, for a third down, down or something. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, and then they'll, you know, line him up in the slot and, and get it to him. And and losing Jarius Wright, now I understand that's a financial thing too. Yeah, they didn't want to. And they wanted to bring him back, but they were going to shortchange him, which, you know, good for him. He got his money in Carolina. Right, and now he's one of their top wide receivers because, unfortunately, they don't have a whole lot of uh, wide receiving options. But that shows you, though, I mean, that Jarius Wright was a real NFL player. He's like an average NFL wide receiver. Uh, you know, at, at least if, if he's your number one or number two, which he couldn't be on this team, he would be catching 50, 60 balls a year and he would be solid, but not as effective as these other guys. So he goes to another team. He's going to be an average wide receiver. Well, right now, Laquan Treadwell isn't even close to average. I mean, he's like replacement level guy that you sign out of the CFL type of level receiver for what he's given you last year. 
Case Keenum had like a 49 quarterback rating throwing at him so far. It's only a few passes, but it's still like a 55 quarterback rating throwing at him compared to these other guys where it's over 100, well over 100. It's like there's pretty obvious weak link here. And to your point, if anybody gets dinged up, and for as much as these receivers are counted on, it does happen. It happened to Diggs. It happened to Thielen last year where he fell on his back and then he played the NFC Championship game injured. I mean, these Rudolph things, and his ankle. Right, right. Alvin being out. Right. These things are going to happen, and to not have a third option, it does make it feel like you're playing with fire a little bit. Now, you mentioned Delvin potentially being out yeah. this week. He was limited in practice today, mm-hmm. correct? Well, we saw him working on a, like, just kind of doing a rehab assignment with Mark Uyama. He was okay. doing, he was going like this. Okay, I... I don't know what this is. But. I don't know. It kind of looks like you're doing the robot dance. Well, he, it was clearly a hamstring exercise where he was, you know, isolating in the air with like one knee up. I know I'm, try, I'm trying to paint the picture for you listening. Uh, As all the great right journalists now. do. As all, yeah, I'm I'm the Red Smith of uh, talking currently. Actually, no, I should have come up with a broadcast. You should have just said you're really like terrible. Tom Rinaldiing right now. Nobody's well. You, sh- you could have used like a really. I'm not trying to make the people cry. Sounding voice, right? You could have been like he was. Doing this thing where he stretched his hamstring. He reached up toward the sky. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, so if if his hamstring is not 100%, don't play. No. He's like, don't play because Latavius Murray is good at football. That's why he came back. He can handle the load. You can came back with for him. situations like this. Exactly. Because he's ne- not an opponent where you need him. No, and I mean, why not try to see what you can get out of Mike Boone or Rock Thomas? Both of them have been healthy. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I know Thomas the first week was, I believe, the, the he had some sort of injury. Ankle. Ankle, and he, they they didn't play him. But, I mean, both last week were healthy scratches. So I think this is your chance to see what you have in your two rookies. And don't risk it with Dalvin. Like, I mean, if, if we get the injury report on Thursday that he didn't practice and then Friday didn't practice, that means he's out pretty much. I don't think they'd list him as questionable. I think you just go ahead and let him do a rehab assignment. Clearly, it was more than a cramp, mm-hmm. um, is what he said in the locker room in Green Bay. And there's no need when you have two incredibly difficult road opponents coming up in Los Angeles against the Rams, and then you go to Philly. Let him rest for that because you're probably going to beat this team by the end of the third, middle of the third quarter. Yeah, maybe not even that far into the game. It should be over quick. I mean, even without Everson Griffin, you should be able to rush the passer. I don't think Josh Allen is really all that good of a quarterback prospect, much less a guy who's going to come in in his second start and give the Vikings any problems. I mean, we saw Brock Osweiler try this. We saw Mitch Trubisky try this. Uh, there's, there's been others, right? Young quarterbacks who come into U.S. Bank Stadium against the Vikings defense and have no success whatsoever. I don't think that he's prepared for the noise. I don't think he's prepared for the talent on the other side of the field. He has no wide receivers. His one running back has a bunch of legal troubles and injured ribs. I mean, this is one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL with the Bills. So even if Everson Griffin doesn't play, the interior should just shred Buffalo's offensive line. You don't need to play Delvin Cook if he doesn't feel 100%. And the same goes for Everson Griffin. This is a a very rare luxury. In fact, I've been thinking about just how some things are falling into place for the Vikings so far. I mean, Rodgers is dinged up, so he's going to play a bunch of games not 100%. The Lions look like they're not very good at all. Chicago has this great defense. I'm not sure that I'm really sold on Mitch Trubisky, but we're going to see how that ends up 
playing out. They should have beat. They looked terrible the in the first half. He looked bad in the first yes. half. Like yes. I mean, second half aside, I still think that the Bears have much work to do offensively. Yes. But that defense, maybe it's too early on Trubisky, but it's just it looks to me like he has some flashes and he's a great athlete. But when it comes to consistently being accurate, you just don't really see it. Like the execution, mm-hmm. the accuracy. He has occasional good throw, tight window throws and things like that, but not, I mean, not like that consistent throughout an entire game. First half, he's pretty decent against the Packers. Second half, he disappears, you know? So, I mean, I, I still think he's going to struggle when they eventually get to that. But um, when you're talking about just how things have played out, the division and how it looks so far, and then to be able to play basically a preseason game here and then go Thursday. And, and I, you just can't disrespect the Bills roster enough. Like, it, <laughs> it's hard to explain how little talent they have on this roster and, and a quarterback who was never supposed to play this early. So it, it feels like you have a game that should be a little bit lower stress and then you're prepared for the Rams and you're in a better place than them. So it kind of evens the playing field a little bit. There's a lot of calamity going on with this Bills, Bills team that I don't think should be overlooked. I mean, obviously you have you know, Davis retiring at halftime last week, all the stuff that's going on with McCoy on top of the fact that he's dealing with an injury right, right. now. I mean, the, that's what uh, Sean McDermott had said that they were going to go day to day with him this week. So you might not even have, you know, one of the best pass catching running backs, um, you know, right now playing. And then on top of that, you have, who knows what's going to happen with play calling and how right. different that's going to make right. things, um, you know, with, with McDermott taking it over. And I guess, he said that he and Leslie Frazier are gonna, you know, split duties. It sounds like that's kind of a, a dumpster I mean, fire what? waiting to explode. So right. this is a good time for the Vikings to have this type of opponent. I think it breaks up your schedule kind of nicely when you think of the 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 gimmies essentially that they have because it's you know right now it's week three and then you know week seven mm-hmm. is Arizona when that, they come here. I mean, you try to go find okay get through these two patches you know they have a rough stretch coming up right and the getting you know getting away from green bay with a bye i think should almost be considered like a win because you don't go into green bay and think that you're ever going to just walk away with the win regardless of aaron Rodgers healthy or not so they're in a good place from you know i guess really a mental standpoint right now going into this they can come out of this at Two and zero and one, and then go into a really tough stretch. I mean, if we yeah, if we play this out down the road here, and just how we expect it to happen, so let's say you just beat the Bills two zero and one. Let's even say you go out to L.A. and lose because L.A. looks like they are one of the best teams in the league too. So let's even say that short week, Rams are good. They're at home. Let's say that the Rams win that game. You're still two one and one with a 10-day break before you got to go to Philadelphia, and maybe Carson Wentz is just coming back, and then even if you lose that game... Week six, that's what I meant. You've got Arizona. Yeah, you've got Arizona next, and so this first section of the season, you could come out pretty strong, and this this game being as easy as it looks, uh, I mean, that that to me is just a huge benefit for a really tough schedule, but to have this kind of placed where it is, especially as... You know, some of these parts are still sort of, you know, starting to gel on offense because even Kirk Cousins pointed out to us, like, guys, we had seven points going into that fourth quarter. So it's not like 
they come away from that game going, oh, yeah, we just ran over the Packers and everything was great. It's like they had to have this comeback at the end and score a ton of points in the fourth quarter. But this offense sputtered in the second half against the 49ers. It sputtered in the first three quarters against the Packers. I, I think it's still that, coming together. Yeah. Like that's, but did, did we not expect this to happen? I think we did. I think that we knew that this was going to take three, four, five, even six games for Cousins to get fully comfortable. And that's not just a matter of, you know, the connection with Thielen and Diggs. I mean, it is kind of telling when you go back and look at, especially in overtime, he wasn't, after he realized going back to Laquan Treadwell was a mistake on back-to-back throws, who did he rely on? It was Thielen, it was Diggs, and it was Kyle Rudolph. Um, And then obviously running out the two plays with Latavius Murray. That, to me, shows you that Cousins is still leaning heavily on his go-to guys, and he's going to need some more support down the stretch. And that uh, also plays into another injury that I wanted to bring up, which might seem small, but also is kind of a big one, potentially, which is David Morgan. Mm -hmm. And if he's not going to play this week, which it kind of looks like that, I'm not sure what happens still. After watching the tape, I, I couldn't tell where he got hurt. But now you lose a really good blocker. And if you notice, this was pointed out on our episode with Sage Rosenfels where we broke down this play, the 75-yard touchdown pass, David Morgan is basically an extra offensive lineman on that play, and he is so much better of a blocker than Kyle Rudolph. He lays a key block there. He is one of those little chess pieces that helped Pat Shermer last year, has helped John Filippo. Even though you don't always notice him, he made, I mean, even to start the game, he makes a, a catch on a play where he just is blocking somebody, comes off the block and makes a play. He's able to do that from time to time. This is, this is why they need this game so badly, because if they were playing the Rams this week with Delvin dinged up, with David Morgan potentially out, with Everson Griffin potentially out, I'd be saying, man, this is a this is tough. But I don't think they will have any problems still beating the Bills with these guys out. So that kind of just speaks to how big that that is. No, I agree with you. And I think that at this time on the schedule, I mean, this I just, it just couldn't have come at a better time when you have these types of injuries. I mean, the season's already flying by. It's week three. And you're starting to see how Kirk Cousins is developing in the offense. You're starting to see why this defense is as good as it is. But you're also seeing the flaws on both sides of the ball. I mean, Kirk, I think, was very honest in the things that went wrong. He talked about, like, how he views the whole thing as a process and not just, yeah, we escaped Green Bay with a win because I led them back from 20 to 7, being down 20 to 7 in the fourth quarter. I mean, there were throws there that he wanted back. The tight throw to Thielen is something that he was uncomfortable throwing, that mm-hmm. he said that it was just you know too close for comfort with the safety. But I think what you're seeing in that and then you know, some of the missed tackles, especially in the secondary, and it's all a miscommunication, I mean, there's still work to be done. Um, you just get to figure it out against a pretty mediocre opponent. So the last question here on the docket is, do they cover? Now, I am not a gambling person, so I don't care either way. I'm not betting on the game or mentioning it on the broadcast like Al Michaels tends to find a way to do. But but if it's as historic as this, yes, it's kind of crazy. It, it's worth talking about. 17 points. I'm going over. I'd go the over. They opened as 16 and a half, I believe, when that was Sunday. Or was it 15 and a half, 16, 16 and a half? 16 and a half, yeah. Right on Sunday. I remember seeing that being like, is this, this is a mistake or this is right? I say they go over. 
Uh, this is a team that gave up 37 points to Joe Flacco. Is it 47 or 37? Uh, 47. Good Lord. I mean, that's a lot. That's, I mean, the Ravens are not that good. So let's, let's, you know, the Vikings are incredibly, you know, so much further. If you swing the pendulum the other way that I think this is going to be a complete blowout and it should be a good chance though, for the Vikings to get, a lot of secondary pieces in there. Maybe we'll see some Trevor Simeon and see how he's able to, you know, hopefully if you're the Vikings, handle handle that lead and not and not turn the ball over and perform much better than he did in the preseason. You know, it's also a good chance for a guy like Brian O'Neill. I mean, if Rashad Hill has to, yeah. you know, we saw him practicing a little bit today. We'll see what capacity he was in on Thursday. But O'Neill came in, you know, in the in I know John Filippo used the what was it the game seven of the world series i mean i, I like was kind of like okay let's slow down here it's a I mean, little is, on the dramatic side <laughs> this is week two of the season and um he came in in the fourth quarter and handled you know pass blocking assignments really well but i think this is a good chance for you know if he has to play a considerable amount of time on sunday that's a good opportunity for him great opportunity for the young running backs um, you know good opportunity for laquan treadwell to redeem himself after last week this is just a good I wouldn't even say it's a measuring stick type thing, but just to kind of see like where your depth is. Um, Cause you could probably get them some ample playing time. All right. Anything else on your mind before we run? Uh, mm, trying to think probably football. not. It's always football on my mind. If you want to run some more jet sweeps, well, like I did in the media room this, earlier, you know, this is, it was a great technique they used and you know, you can either fake the handoff or you can hand it off to you. And it was just, it was just well done. I ran behind Matthew's chair and I yelled jet sweep, jet sweep, jet sweep. And he didn't hand the ball off. Usually and I think it would be the defenders would be yelling. I'm it. yelling it to make you aware that I'm running it. You just weren't prepared. Okay. Uh, usually we get to like talk about the opponent, but in this <laughs> case, we it's did. just like, uh, they got some players, but they're not very good. So that's what I got for you. I mean, the, the only thing that you're watching for potentially is the defensive line is, has some talent. Uh, Tredavious White is a good player. But other than that, I mean, this is a Bills team that is really, really not good and has given away a ton of talent. And I just can't figure out exactly what direction they're trying to take and why they would take a rookie quarterback who is not anywhere close to ready to play in the NFL when they just watched Patrick Mahomes sit for a year and then succeed this year so far, when you just saw that, why you would force him into the situation, I don't understand, but um, it, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be very good. So that's what we got on the Bills side. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll call it a wrap there. And uh, there's going to be um, – should I say it now that there's going to be like a cool purple podcast announcement with I you and so. I soon? Well, we're going to be doing a live version of this over the air on 1500 ESPN starting October 2nd. It's a Tuesday. Yes. So every Tuesday from 5 to 7, we'll be doing Purple Podcast Live, essentially. You'll be in studio for the first hour. Judd will be with us for the second hour. It'll be you and I doing just pure Purple Podcasting over the air, and we'll have it on this feed as well. So I'm excited. It's exciting. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a good chance, too. I think, you know, if you guys have calls, I mean, we love – you know, love the questions on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yep. I loved how after Dan Bailey signed, someone like apologized to me being like, I know you wish this was a long snapper. And I was like, you yes. know what? I really yes. do. But, you know, we I'm not, yes. not going to throw Kevin McDermott under the bus when he's very good at his job. We can expose a whole new audience to the greatness of long snappers and Tom Johnson. So great to have Tom back and we will talk to you all again soon.